I invite your attention now to uh, that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. The very mind of God is black words on a white page. Luke 15, turn in your copies, if you will, and follow as I read from this um, portion of God's Word. While you're finding, <clears throat> let me remind you that there are two services uh, Christmas Eve night. One's at 5.30, the other's at 5.45. So um, 4.30 and 5.45. My wife just corrected me as she does so often. Uh, 4.30, 5.45. Now you follow, beginning at verse 11 of Luke, pardon me, Luke 15. Here we go. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a faraway country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, one of the uh, themes that is played out over and over and over again in in, uh, Christmas music is, um, is the theme of home. For instance, I'll be home for Christmas. If only in my dreams. But there's more. (laughs) Um, Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. For no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, you better get home. You see that in, in, in numerous of the, of, the, of the Christmas pieces of music that, that we so enjoy. The, the emphasis upon home. Christmas music emphasizes lots of things, but one of the things that it emphasizes is this thing, home. Home is a rich word. It's a warm word. It's a, it's a meaningful word. It's a pregnant word. It, it's not like the word house. Houses are big or little or they're fancy or they're, they're simple or they're, or they're expensive or they're not. But, uh, 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 but a house is inanimate. 
When we speak of a house, we speak of something that is, that is not alive. But when we speak of home, home is something that pulsates with life. Um, homes are housed in houses. Homes are places where family is celebrated. Home, not a house. Home is what we want. Because that's normally what captures our hearts. Not the house. The home. Now guys, I I say all of that to, to point this out about the parable. The prodigal son, while still in the faraway country, is beginning to feel the tug of home. He's beginning to to long for home. But but his thinking is, is still a bit scrambled, as I said to you two weeks ago. He's still a bit confused, and you see it in his little speech in verses 17 through 19. Um... In his thinking, in his mind, about the only thing that is open to him were he to go back home. Uh, And you see it in verse 19, by the way. About the only thing that the father would be open to or that the father would consider is allowing him to be a hired servant. You know, I'll go home and he can add me to his staff. In his mind, while he's in the faraway country, that's about the only thing that he thinks is a possibility for him. Um, because in his mind, based on his behavior, he has forfeited any, any claim to sonship. Why? I mean, I mean, based on what I've done, uh, sonship is out of the question. I can be a hired hand. But sonship is out of the question. Bad, bad people... That bad people can't be sons. That, that's just not how it works. What he doesn't know, the good news for this boy that he doesn't yet know, is that even in the face of all of his prodigal living, the door to that home has not yet been slammed in his face. It's far more open than he ever dreamed. He, he has no idea just how open that door is. Not yet. Now, guys, I know that your minds are, are flooded with a thousand other things. I know that you still have to grocery shop and Christmas shop and cook and wrap and, and who's coming in airports. And I, I understand that. But guys, if you're going to understand the richness of this parable, you're going to have to think with me. <laughs> Are you prepared for that? <laughs> well, I didn't come to church to think. <clears throat> um, Are you ready? Because I think you'll be glad you did. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to think with me. Here we go. Guys, 
perhaps the most theologically damaging tradition or theologically damaging misunderstanding of this parable has to do with verse 17. Um, It's this popular misperception that those words, when he came to himself, means or suggests that he has repented. That cannot be so. Those words in verse 17 cannot mean that. And I want to show you why. But very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, it's far better than you think. But a, but a, a misunderstanding, I think, has robbed us of, of the richness of this parable. And it's a misunderstanding that is, circles around those words in verse 17. He came to himself. It can't mean that he repented while over in the faraway country. Now, that said, let me try to explain myself for the next few minutes. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, it can't mean that because not only does it dull the, the, uh, the, the, the cutting edge of the text, but it also uh, breaks up the theological unity of the entire chapter. Chapter 15. Guys, you remember, do you not, that chapter 15 has three parables in it. I told you that. In fact, one commentarian said it's really only one parable with three parts. But there are three parables in chapter 15, And all three of these parables, as you may recall, Jesus tells in response to the question of why he eats with sinners. And on each of these parables, the emphasis is placed on God's initiative. For instance, in the first parable about the lost sheep, God is the searcher. God is the shepherd. God is the, is the, um, is the one who, who doesn't go to his home and wait for the sheep to show up on the front porch and bleat at his front door. God is the one that goes out and tracks down and hunts the sheep. In the second parable about a coin, God is the woman He's the woman who lights the lamp and sweeps the house and searches everywhere until he finds that lost coin. That woman doesn't go on with our other household chores, waiting for the coin to flip itself out of some crack in the floor up onto the kitchen table. No, God is the searcher. And ladies and gentlemen, we come to this third parable... God is the Father. He's the Father who watches in vain for his children. He he runs out to meet them. He embraces them and he longs for them to come home. Guys, in all three of these parables, 
the emphasis is being placed on God's searching initiative. He is the searcher, not the lost thing. The lost thing is not searching. The lost thing is not even eager to be found. The, the, the theological unity of the chapter is that not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus is saying that the one who takes the lead in finding the lost is God. So you see, if verse 17 means that he, <clears throat> that he repented, then he's the one that's pursuing. The, the whole unity of the chapter is destroyed. If you, if you read it like that, guys, if, if the prodigal son truly repents while he's still in the faraway country, and then he, he struggles home on his own, then I say to you that Jesus has contradicted himself in, in the, between that parable and the other two. This parable, the parable of the prodigal son, teaches the same thing that do the others. The searcher is God. Let, let me show you one other thing. Guys, if you will read verses 17 through 19, which, by the way, were said while the prodigal son is still in the faraway country. You see that. But if you will... If you'll read that, the gist of what he says in verses 17 through 19 is that he is going to solve his own problems with hard work. L listen to what he says in verse 18b. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now listen to this. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. You know who said that? Pharaoh. In that big contest with Moses and all the 11 plagues, uh, Pharaoh uh, is doing the same thing to Moses that the prodigal son is thinking about doing to his father. Pharaoh gives the same speech to Moses. And everyone knows that Pharaoh is not repenting. Pharaoh is simply trying to bend Moses to his will to manipulate him in such a way that he can get what he wants. And the prodigal son, while talking to himself in the faraway country, he's got the same kind of plan. The same kind of plan that Pharaoh had. The prodigal son evidences no shame, no remorse, just a plan. The prodigal son is doing the same thing that Pharaoh tried. He's going to soften his father's heart by offering his own solution to the problem of their estrangement. And his solution is hard work.
when the prodigal son is thinking about his father in the faraway country. He's thinking that the thing that will satisfy him, the thing that will help him get over our estrangement, is that I go home and show him what a hard worker I am. This boy thinks while he's in the faraway country that he's going to go home and he's going to get himself a job. And by his so doing, he's going to save himself through hard work. When it comes to the estrangement between me and my father, the thing that's needed is just some good old elbow grease. Some hard work. That'll do it. No forgiveness necessary. No grace needed. Because I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to earn it. So he gets up, and as the prodigal begins to walk towards home, he thinks that he's got a good plan and that his plan will ultimately set him free. And as he walks, the road seems longer than he remembered when he was on his way over. I mean, when, when he traveled on this road the first time, I mean, he turned some heads with his style. But now he turns some heads because of his stink. But this is no penitent, ladies and gentlemen, who walks with no shoes. This young boy has planned his own deliverance. And his deliverance depends on his own hard work. But he could have never imagined. He could never have imagined what awaits him. Because you see, the father, the father has a plan of his own. It was a plan that was hatched on the same day that his son left. The, the, the same day that the son left for the faraway country, the father pledged, hatched another plan. And the father's plan bursts into fruition in verse 20. Gang, verse 20 is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching in this parable. We're, we're told that the father sees him while he is still a long way off. Because the father has spent so much of his time peering off into the distance, you know, standing on his balcony and craning his neck and, 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 and looking down for the road and, and looking down the road. And <clears throat> he's, he's, he's spent his time on the lookout. Now, guys, listen to me. The Pharisees, I've said this a half a dozen times, 
These three parables, Jesus was goaded into telling them. It's mentioned in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Jesus was goaded into telling these parables because the Pharisees complained that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus replies to their complaint. And he replies with this story. And he says in essence in this story, he says, you, 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 tell, you say to me that, that I receive sinners and, and eat with them. Oh, but indeed I do. But it is much worse than you think. I not only receive sinners and eat with them, I run down the road to welcome them. I jump off a balcony so that I can make haste to embrace them. And then when I get to them, I drag them in so that I might eat with them. You think I only eat with them? Oh, no! It's much more than that. Folks, it was a shameful thing, and perhaps a pretty ugly thing, for an old man to run in this culture. Have you ever seen an old man run? Well, the next time I run, watch. You know, it's, it's not a pretty thing. You've got the knobby knees and the spindly legs. And, and the father becomes a public spectacle and, and thereby diverts at least a portion of the hostility that was aimed at his son and assumes it upon himself. He, he, he pays a price. But he can't help himself. He loses all sense of decorum because he is overpowered by his longing to receive his son. He picks up the bottom edges of his robes and he runs to welcome this pig-herding son of his. He falls on his neck and he kisses him. Listen! He kisses him before hearing his prepared speech. The father does not demonstrate love to this boy in response to his son's confession. Rather, out of his own compassion, he empties himself. He assumes the role of the pursuer. And he runs to reconcile his estranged son. Ladies and gentlemen, think. When is the kiss? When is the embrace? It's before the speech.
Because, ladies and gentlemen, repentance is never a cause of grace. Repentance is always the consequence of grace. Repentance never merits grace. Grace produces repentance. That can't be repentance in verse 17. It can't be. Because repentance never produces embrace. Embrace always produces repentance. The Father loves him. Not in his response, not not in, in a response to his repentance or anything about his prepared plan. No, no. The son repents in response to his father's love and welcome. Beauty kisses the beast. It's his knowledge of what's in his father's heart. Displayed by this welcome that ultimately melts the heart of the prodigal son. You know, most fathers would have beaten this boy. Or they would have stood up on the porch and said, this better be good, boy. The the son is never allowed to even get to the part of verse 19b when he says, I've sinned. He never even gets to that. Which, by the way, is something that was said back in the faraway country. But it never gets said up here in this welcome. Gang, here's the point. I hope you see it. God's love to us is not a response to your performance. God's love to us is a function of his own loveliness. He doesn't embrace you because you're cute or you're fine or you're righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, our hope is not to be found in our plan. But in his plan. Ladies and gentlemen, if if you've got to put your makeup on before you face God, then you do not understand the gospel. If you've got to shape up so that he'll receive you, then you're not real sure that he'll ever love somebody as wicked as you. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, there is no God like this God. There is no other religion that has a God who sacrifices for the sinner. The other religions say, Here are the rules. I'll wait for you on the porch. 
this God jumps off the porch and runs to embrace his son. Folks, the behavior of the prodigal son is indeed scandalous. But the behavior of his father is even more scandalous. It is complete abandon. It is recklessness. No regard for health. No regard for decorum. He knows no boundary. In his quest to restore sinners. Gang, the thing that wrecked this home in Luke 15 was sin. And the thing that restored it is not hard work on your part. The thing that restored it is the God of all grace. Folks, this home, our, this culture, this cosmos, this home was wrecked in Genesis chapter 3. And it was restored at Calvary. To the Pharisees, this was a complete distortion of everything that they believed. They, they, they believed that God wants good people. We get, we get right with God via hard work. No, no, my friends. God wants sons. People today think like Pharisees. Some of you are still thinking like a Pharisee. And because you think like a Pharisee, you live like a prodigal. And you make a plan. Ooh, ooh, I know I'm in trouble because I'm estranged from God and, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to death. You know, I better do something about this. All right, I got it. I'll get back in church. I'll get involved. I'll start singing in the choir. I got a plan. I'll show him what a fine person I am. just like a prodigal. (laughs) Gang, religion to Pharisees is equated with morality and goodness. Religion in the 21st century in most of this planet is equated with morality and goodness. And Christianity steps into that marketplace and says, Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you have not yet seen that.
Gang, this parable means one thing. Every stroke of it. Every stroke of this picture is intended to assure sinners that God receives sinners and eats with them according to a plan that He devised. Not you. Oh, but uh, Jimmy, I would, I would love to believe that. But, um, but maybe my, my sin is too big. Not for this God. You know, I asked them to put my painting up there again. And I hope you can see it better from where you're sitting because I, I just held it up to you four or five weeks ago. But this is that Rembrandt print that I've made so much of. And, and I, I hope you can see that thing when I talked about light and emphasis, how, the, how Rembrandt, you can see that, that the picture's pretty dark, but you can see the light. You can see the most lighted things are, are a, somebody kneeling with bare feet and somebody embracing him. What does that say to you? What does it tell you? I'll tell you what it says to me. It says that it was the Father's love for sinners that transformed this prodigal son. And if you can't see it in that painting, it is very clearly taught in this parable. The love of the prodigal son is only a response to the love of this father. I'll tell you something else the painting says to me. It says, I'm going to get to this boy even if it kills me. And you know what? It did kill him. But no extreme. Even a cross was too extreme to restore people as wicked as we are. Here's something else it says. It says, prodigals, come home. There's a line in in one of our much beloved hymns. It's not a Christmas hymn, but it's a hymn you love. It's called Amazing Grace. And the third stanza, which doesn't get much attention, the third stanza goes like this. 
Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. That Father is our home. Father, I I do pray that you will display yourself in all of your wonder and saving beauty to these people who are so dear and precious to me. That all of us might see what a What an incredible thing you have wrought for sinners in Christ Jesus. And that you will remind us at this time of year that what we're celebrating is the very linchpin of your plan. The arrival on planet earth of the one who would spend himself, empty himself, and die so that we might not have to. Oh God, we bless you for this rich and pure and beautiful gospel that I get the privilege to preach. Might this gospel become the prized possession of everyone in this room. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we like to close our service by, by doing three things. We like to offer ourselves to pray with you. If there's things that, that you'd like to share with us, we're, we're more than happy to be made available to you. We'd love to pray with you. Secondly, um, if you have completed our new members class and you feel like um, this is the place God has led you, this is the time that we receive you at the end of a service. And then finally, um, i like to just simply say again, If you're here and have not yet met this Savior of ours, Christmas time would be a great time to embrace the Savior. Don't go home. Don't go to your home without having gone to that home. Won't you stand as we pray?